Hey, uh, welcome to everyone. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online as well. Um, it's interesting. We get feedback for, from people that do listen on the podcast. And if you do um, end up missing a, a sermon, um, feel free to catch up on the podcast, um, the Chapel Sydney. Um, we, we realize that people actually do listen because a few of them went up late and some people complained about how come they're not up on time. So thanks to everyone who's supporting that. Um, we're in the last book of the Bible, the book called Revelation, and we're looking at the seven letters that Jesus writes to the seven local churches. Now remember, when we talk about churches, when Jesus is writing these letters to these churches, we're not talking about buildings like the one we're in. We're talking about a group of Christians, a group that was that were, that were gathering to worship and to follow Jesus. And tonight, we look at Jesus' letter to the church in Sardis, okay? Now, let me paint you a picture of the church in Sardis. Sardis is one of the richest cities in the Roman Empire. And what Sardis is famous for is not only its textiles and garment industry, but also their jewelry. So Sardis is in the middle there on that map. Uh, Sardis was a city on a hill. Um, it had great vision and where it was placed was there was only one road into the city. And so you can imagine if, if you've got four roads that lead into the city, then anyone can attack you from any side. But because Sardis only had one road, they were very high on their defense and hardly anyone could um, uh, attack them. Um, they reckoned that uh, Sardis was the first city to ever mint gold and silver coins. Uh, supposedly there was a river running through Sardis where there was plenty of gold and they actually put, um, you know, put these gold together and they mined it together and they produced gold coins. Um, it's a very um, proud city and it had a great reputation. And yet what you're going to hear from what Jesus is going to say um, it's going to paint a very different picture. So we're going to read through uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, and we're going to go through the same structure of letters that we have been going through. So the first um, part is uh, Jesus' description of himself, and we see this in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God, And the seven stars. This is, this is uh, Jesus' description of himself as the author of the letter. And, and he's like saying, I'm the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, this is symbolism once again. But what this is saying is uh, the, the number seven in the Bible is, is a number of completion or perfection. So what Jesus is saying is, I am the one, I am the one who holds the perfect ministry in my hands. I am that one. I am that one that's writing to you. Now the second part is the commendation. Jesus praises the church for the good things. Now this is the thing that stands out of the church of Sardis. There is none. Out of all seven churches, they all receive praise. And yet for this church in Sardis, Jesus has nothing good to say about them. Okay, we're going to come back to why this is the case. Okay, but you've got to think, right? 
If, if, if there's nothing good that Jesus is writing to this church, there's got to be some things in this church that are pretty messed up. Okay? So let's get into the condemnation. The things that Jesus is going to say, look, yo, these things are, are not very good. And this is in verse, I don't know what verse it is. There we go. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is what Jesus is saying to the church inside us. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. Yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus says, I know your deeds. He's, remember, he's writing this letter to the people in that church. I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive. Everyone can see. Everyone thinks that you are alive. But actually, you are dead. You are dead. See, the city was alive and the church looked lively and yet Jesus can see through that and says, wow, this church, it looks like it's doing well. It looks like it's going okay, but it's actually dead. And we're going to see why. Verse 4, yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. You have a few people. So, so this isn't necessarily a, 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 um, a commendation. This is saying, look, there's a few of you that are not dead. Now, what does it mean to have soiled their clothes? It means that their lives have become dirty. Why has it become dirty? Because of their sin. Apart from a small group of individuals that have not soiled their clothes, everyone else had succumbed to sin. Now, there's no mention of what exact sin it is, but we can guess that it, it, it's something to do with, uh, it could be compromise, it could be idol worship, but regardless of what the sin is, it's caused the church to die inside. It's like walking through a beautiful cathedral. In Europe, if you get to travel to Europe, there are many of these beautiful cathedrals, beautiful old churches that you look and they are stunning and yet they are museums. They are just relics. They're just statues. Everyone talks about the good old days. But there's no life inside of these churches in these cathedrals anymore. Or you could think of it like a fake flower. Now, from the outside, you can't tell. You can't tell whether this is fake or real, but you can say, wow, that's beautiful. And most people say, wow, that is beautiful. It's appeasing to the eyes and so perfect. And yet, it's plastic, has no real life inside of it. This is what Jesus is calling this church. And he calls, he calls the church in verse 2 to wake up. 
See, the irony of this church was that because it had a reputation, a phenomenal reputation of being a great church, a proud church, a rich church, they themselves who were inside the church or who were attending the church, they didn't even know that they were actually dead. This is how unhealthy, this is how blind they were not even recognizing that they weren't even alive. And so Jesus says, hey, wake up. Wake up and see what's really happening. And he gives four instructions to the church after they wake up. He says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains, meaning focus on invest and invest into what you have. And he says, remember what you have received and heard. Jesus is saying, remember the gospel that was taught and preached in this church once before. And then he says, hold on fast. He says, hang on to it and don't let go. And finally, he says, repent. Meaning acknowledge. Acknowledge that you've been going the wrong way and make a U-turn and start coming back. We'll come back to these things later, but Jesus warns them. He warns them. If the church does not wake up, he will come like a thief. He will come like a thief to take what is of value. This is what's going on in the church of Sardis. But he finishes off with the fourth part, which is the promise. Verse 5 and 6, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out that name or the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, to the one who is victorious. The one who is victorious is the one who has not soiled their clothes. They will be dressed in white, a sign of purity. And Jesus says, for those that are dressed in white, their name, their name will be on the list that Jesus hands to his father. And God will acknowledge that name in the book of life. Name me one thing that is more valuable than God knowing your name and God putting your name in the book of life. A book of life, the record of who will live forever. Right? Powerball this week, 110 mil. Sure, that would excite up everyone's life, right? But if you compare that to God knowing your name and your name being written in the book of life, really, there is no comparison. Would you give up eternal life? This is the promise for the victorious one. Interesting letter. Uh, I found this one uh, one of the most interesting out of the seven. uh, Jesus is so harsh. You know, we know Jesus is he's loving. He's, he, he's shown that, you know, the other churches as well, he's just loving on them. He's encouraging them. But he comes to this church and he just goes to town. But you know what? I think Jesus has a right to do this. Jesus is giving a clear warning to those who rely on anything else outside of their own personal relationship with Jesus for salvation. Can I tell you one of the scariest passages in the Bible? Got nothing to do with demons and dragons. 
I think this is the scariest passage in the Bible, and it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, and it reads this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think this is the scariest passage in all of Scripture. The reality is that not everyone who attends church Not everyone who does good works, not everyone who serves and gives, not everyone will be known to Jesus. And if you're not known to Jesus, he cannot make you known to the Father. Now, I want to address this at a personal level, and then we're going to address it at a corporate level. Because remember, Jesus is writing this to a church. Okay? But we're going to look at it at both sides. Just because your parents are Christian, just because you wear a cross around your neck, just because you turn up to life group, if you do not have a living relationship with Jesus, meaning that every day that you do your best to live, to do the will of the Father in heaven, it will not be enough. You think you are alive, but you are dead. Outside appearances will not make up for inside emptiness. Outside reputation will not make up for inside emptiness. I've been going to church for 20 years. So what? I've given millions of dollars to the poor. So what? I've read the Bible 64 times. So what? If you do not have a living relationship with Jesus... If there is no life that is happening inside of your heart and soul, then you might look like you are alive. You might even look like you're a Christian. But actually inside, you're dead. I love you as a pastor. I wrote this down. Hey, I love you because I'm your pastor. But I have to say this because I love you. Don't be fooled. Don't be foolish. I really do. I really care for each and every one of your lives. I care about your souls. I care about your eternity. I really do. But that's why I can't sugarcoat this. Let me ask you a very serious question. Are you a Jesus follower? Are you a disciple of Jesus? For for the sake of being a Christian? You just ticking a box? Now, if you come and say, well, I'm not, that's fine. That's fine. I don't think Jesus is talking to those people tonight. 
If you're like, no, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't think I'd be able to tick the Christian box. You know what? That's fine. Because you just, at least you're honest. I think Jesus is talking to the people that will call themselves Christian. They will tick the box Christian. They will think in themselves, in their mind, that they have some kind of relationship with Jesus when actually there's nothing. Are you a Christian by reputation? Are you Christian by historical, you know, family lineage? You know, my, my dad was a Christian and his dad was a Christian. And are you the real deal? And when I say real deal, I'm not saying perfect. Jesus, nowhere in the Bible, says that follow me, be perfect like me, or else we're going to cut you off. What does it mean? It means he wants us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Why? Because this is the will of God. And I want to seriously ask you tonight, I really, really seriously want to ask you tonight, are you sure? Are you sure? Because friend, I don't want you to get to the gate of heaven. I don't want you to get to judgment there. I don't want you to get to uh, stand before God and be like, I went to the chapel, asked Pastor Steve, he knows me. I served in ministry, I gave my 10% tithe to the church. I cannot get you into heaven. I can try to get you into some other places in Sydney, like, you know, you know whatever events and whatnot, but I, I promise you, I can. if you put my name to heaven, I don't know if they're going to come for you. <laughs> I cannot do that for you. This church cannot do that for you. You cannot take a letter from the church and say, you know, attendance was 94%. Here you go. It's whether you have a relationship with Jesus today real in your life. That's the only thing. Now, at this point, I really do want to say, if you're unsure, because I reckon there would be, I reckon this is going to confuse some of you. If you're unsure, come and, come and talk to me. I'll help you process. And I won't sugarcoat it. If I don't think, if I don't think it, I'll, I'll let you know. Because the last thing that I want you to do is think something that you're not. That you think that you're alive, but you're not. Now, this is the challenge for us individually. This is a challenge for you individually. Is this real for me? Am I really alive or am I just saying that I'm alive? Am I really doing the will of God in my life every day or is it just Sunday tick? That's on an individual basis. But what about us as a church? Jesus is addressing a church, right? You know, you know. Uh, to be honest, it scares me as a church too. Would Jesus write a letter like this to us? Chapel Sydney, you've been around for six years. You think you're, you think you're good. You think you're alive. But you're dead. You have a very smooth, polished service. Your worship team only makes five mistakes per week, which is better than the national average of 15. Your kids' ministry is so fun. Kids want to come back. You're a very friendly church that has nice social activities. You've got new people every week, and your podcasts are usually 
acupuncture. It looks like you've got it all happening on the outside. But the question is not what is happening on the outside. The question is what is happening on the inside of our church. You only give and serve because your pastor told you to. The kids only come because it's fun, but there's no teaching downstairs. You only go to life group because you don't want to disappoint the people around you. And you only come to church because you don't want to get in trouble by your parents. Is that the church that we're at? All for show and nothing inside? Think about it. Do you think we're like this? As a church, do you think we're like this, right? As the pastor of the church, I spend many hours thinking about our church, praying about our church. And when I read this passage and when I came up to this passage and read this letter to this church in Sardis, and as much as I go, wow, Sardis, you idiots, why would you be like that? It scared me because it started to make me worry. It started to make me worry for you as individuals. Do we have a, bun- do we have a bunch of so-called Christians that come to our church for the sake of ticking off boxes? Real no life transformation, really that makes no difference in their lives? Is this, is this the gathering that we are? We have, a, uh, we have a church coach. His name is Pastor Ray Chang. He's been here a few times. And, and he said this to me. He said, machines. Machines will produce exactly what the machine is programmed to produce. Makes sense, right? If you have a coffee machine, press the button and it produces coffee. If you have, I don't know, a piano machine, you press the button and a piano will turn up. Right? As a church, what are we producing? What are we producing as a church? If, if we're producing nominal Christians, now the term nominal Christian means that you'll say that you're a Christian, you'll tick the box Christian, but you don't really have a deep relationship with Jesus or any relationship with Jesus. If, if the church is producing nominal Christians who come and tick off their moral duty to God, but there is no real life inside of them, That's what the church is programmed to produce. If the church is producing selfish, self-centered, inward-focused Christians, that's because that's what the church is programmed to produce. I'm going to share something with you. After five years of doing church, after our fifth year anniversary last year, I had some time to really sit and, and look at our church. And as much as there were some great things happening, there were also things that that weren't very good happening as well. We weren't growing. We weren't bringing our friends. Our offering was down. We weren't reading our Bibles. And the worst part of it was, we didn't care. We didn't care. That was the general consensus within the majority of our community. I love you all, but I have to be honest. For the most part, 
This church was producing surface Christians at best. Why? Because that's the way the church was programmed. So it wasn't necessarily the individual's fault. It was poor leadership from the top. Now, since then, after that realization of where we were, uh, we're really um, doing our best as a church to look at how we operate as a church and what's important. And I really believe that in the last 18 months, we've really turned things around. Um, I think, you know, it's not about numbers, but, you know, they speak for themselves. And as a leadership, we feel like there is, we're moving to a healthier place. Hopefully the church is in a better place so that Jesus wouldn't tell us that we're just working on the outside and not on the inside. What do we want to be producing as a church? We want to be producing disciples that are alive in Christ, that are making disciples. That's our whole mission statement, to belong to Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to be a blessing in Jesus' name. That's what we want to, that's what we want to be producing. People that belong, people that become, and people that bless. So how do we move forward then as a church? There's five things that Jesus mentions to the church in Sardis, and I think five things that we need to take for heart as a church. Now, you can take this individually for yourself, but also understand that this is a collective issue too. Okay? First one's this, and this is where I'm going to finish. Number one, wake up. Wake up. Be real and be honest. Your life group attendance is flaky. You get to church just on time or even a little bit late and leave as soon as the final prayer is finished. You don't read the Bible. You don't even know where your Bible is. You only pray when you need something and God is never a priority in your life. If that's you, then just own where you're at. Own it. I'm never going to condemn you for any of those things, but I want you to be able to look in the mirror and to be able to honestly see yourself in the mirror. And go, this is where I'm at. That's what Jesus is saying. Wake up. Wake up and understand where you're at. If you're close, you're close. If you're far, you're far. Hey, it is what it is, but at least be honest. Oh, one of the most frustrating things in ministry is people, you look at their life. And it's just a train wreck in slow motion. Do, 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 do. And, you know, it's coming. And you ask them, how are you? I'm fine. How's your life? It's great. You're struggling? No. Do, do, do. And, and, and you know what? I used to get frustrated and I, I used to really try to like get it out of them. Like try to make the, hey, you know, are you sure you're fine? Hey, you know what? I, I love you all. I really, 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 really do. But if you can't be honest to, to me, if you can't be honest to yourself, I'm pretty sure you can't be honest to God. And I'm like, good luck, brother. <laughs> good luck, sister. Be honest. You cannot do anything if you're not honest. You're kidding yourself. Secondly is strengthen what remains. That's what Jesus says. And what he's saying is look for the unfinished business. Instead of looking at, at what I don't have, ask yourself what I do have. You know, so many times people come to church and go, oh, man, I, 
I'm not as talented as them. I've been coming to church, uh, you know, less than them. So I don't know about the Bible. You know what? Stop focusing on the things that you don't have and understand what you do have. What you have, what God has given you is this church, is this community, ministry, classes, life groups, people. We have a prayer team. And we announce this every week. We have a prayer team that wait after service to pray for you. And sometimes they get no one. And I'm like, you're all liars. You all need prayer. You all have things going on in your life. You're just too proud. Not understanding what you have. But Jesus says, strengthen what you have. Strengthen what you have. All these things are available to you. Make use of them. Thirdly, remember what you have received and heard. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, came and he died on the cross to save you from your sins. He paid the penalty that you deserve and then he came back to life. Whoever puts their faith in him shall have eternal life. The gospel. Remember God's good news to mankind. Remember it. Number four, hold it fast. Don't just remember it, but hold on to it. Guard it. Don't be distracted or disrupted by it. Hold it every moment. And finally, repent. Acknowledge the way you were going was wrong. It's what it is. Acknowledge that the things in your life, the decisions that you've made for yourself we're not necessarily in the same direction as God's. Acknowledge that and then make a U-turn back to God. That's what repentance is. It's not just about admitting what you did wrong and saying sorry, but it's an active word about life transformation. Repent and change the direction of your life. Friends, don't get caught up on reputation. Don't get caught up on titles. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this and I'm saying this to myself. I don't want our church to be known. Wow, the Chapel Sydney. Look how awesome they are. Look at the people. Look how committed they are. Look how faithful they are. Preaching's amazing. Phenomenal. Best preaching in Sydney. It's not, but. Worship's so good. They should, you know, go on a world tour. It's not. Sorry. <laughs> Best kids ministry in, in all of New South Wales. It's getting there. Welcomers are the best looking welcomers in all of Asia. All right, we're starting to pull a few porkies. You know what? Can we get to a place where we say all of that doesn't matter? What's on the surface is not as important as what's actually happening inside. That Christ is alive in me and Christ is alive in this church. That's what we proclaim. That the gospel of Jesus is alive in me and in this church. That is where we hang our hat. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I pray that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to our church tonight. Amen? Let's pray.